All right, y'all ready? Y'all ready for it? We're going deep, baby. We're going deep into the heart of femininity, and you will emerge from this knowing everything there is to know about the fairer sex. There will be no mysteries left to be revealed. You will be all-knowing, all-wise. Do not use this knowledge, my friends, for the power of evil. Use it for the power of good, I tell you. I beg of you. I beg of you. All right, let's do it. Hi, it's Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain. It is the year of our Lord, 2021, Monday, April the 5th. And what can I say? It's all going to become clear. Everything is going to be understood. And there shall be no mysteries in the world anymore. So, at least with regards to women. Uh, Just let me get a a sense of the old audience here, the young audience. Uh, And I'm doing a Monday night live stream because I miss you guys. (laughs) I'm not needy. Okay, maybe a little needy. But it's uh, it's a real pleasure to chat with you guys. Are you married? Are you single? Are you dating? What's the story? Morning Glory? Give us a uh, S for single, married, dating, E for engaged, D for dating. Just hit me with some hit me with some text, just so I can measure what's going on here. Single, single, uh, E engaged, single, no dating, single, single, breaking up. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Unless it's a good thing, in which case I'm glad to hear it. Dating, single, single, dating. All right. Single, nothing going on, but rich and tall. <laughs> Big and rich. Married, single, no dating. About to be engaged. We're both ready for babies, but want to be married first. Good call. Married baby on the way. I think that needs a comma. Married comma, baby on the way, because a married baby would be born um, uh, in India. I don't know. Uh, in the best relationship ever since finding a good conservative. Do you know which women have the very best sex life of all? It's uh, white Protestant women. Uh, white married Protestant women have the very best sex life of all. I'm going to be a uh, father in August. Going to be a boy. I'm fighting like hell with my mother-in-law to not have him circumcised. What do you mean you're fighting with your mother-in-law? How is that a fight? My child, no, no circumcision. And if you, if, you, if you bring up circumcision to me again, you will never see your grandchild and you'll have absolutely nothing to do with us because if you want to mutilate my child, we can't really be friends uh, because I can't trust you around my child. I mean, if you want to do that kind of physical damage by hacking off a third of his penis skin, I'm afraid I really can't leave you ever alone with him. I got to tell you, you know, there are complicated fights in this world, but I don't know why you'd be fighting with your mother-in-law. Dude, be a leader. Be a man of the household. You lay down the damn law with that stuff. What are you talking about? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. You know, I'm not hacking off. If it's a girl, I'm not hacking off her breasts. And if it's a boy, I'm not hacking off half of his penis. It's not even not a big complicated thing. Just like, nope, not happening. I don't know. Maybe I'm missing something here. But why are you fighting like hell? You have the uh, legal custodianship of your child and no circumcision. And you say to the doctors and the nurses, no <laughs> circumcision. And I will sue the living hell out of you if anything uh, sharp touches my baby's body for no direct medical reason. Uh, somebody says, uh, married for a long time, working on the baby. All right. All right. Married but fight about the dumbest stuff. Life is good. 
All right. Uh, I seem to attract girls with mental problems or absent fathers. Uh, well, you've got to stay away from the leftists, right? I mean, you've seen the studies, right? <clears throat> that um, among younger leftist women, more than half of them have been told that by a mental, mental, uh, medical professional that they have a mental health disorder. More than half. I mean, they were seriously nuts and uh, incredibly dangerous. Or what you have to do is you have to ask a woman what she thought of the Kavanaugh hearings. <laughs> and if she's like, serves him right, run! So, all right. So we, are we ready to go? We ready to dive in? We ready to cook? I didn't circumcise either of my sons, so thank you for that. To be honest, it's uh, one thing that uh, my mother got right. And, uh, you know, I would, uh, uh, it goes a long way towards not feeling too better. XRP mooning. Yeah, it's going to the roof, isn't it? I'm twice divorced. I discovered you far too late and not holding out hope of a third. I'm sorry about that. Good women seem hard to find in the West. Well, take a leadership, take a leadership position, man. All radical leftist BLM types, usually when I tell them I'm right, they get more attached. Yeah, you, you don't ever want to be with someone who can't ever be happy. Maybe you're just like my mother. She's never satisfied. So, yeah, uh, don't, don't be with anybody who can't be satisfied. And I'll get into what happens with women on the left and why they're never satisfied and why they can't be happy and why women tend to drive government spending and all of that. And we're going to get into it all. And you will, uh, you will be proud of the day that we spent an evening together and how much. And please share this uh, stream and, and get your people involved. Uh, tell them that... Uh, uh, you know, they may have heard I'm a bad guy, but even bad guys can be right once in a while, like a stopped clock, and they should come and listen to this, because uh, I have thought about a lot of this, a lot of this. Uh... XRP is going to be listed on Coinbase tomorrow. That's why the pump, yeah. Why the pump, yeah. I think I'm scared of having a relationship. I understand that. I mean, uh, it's it's a wild world out there. It's a wild world out there for sure, so I understand that fear. But don't worry, after you listen to me tonight, I'm telling you. You will have nothing to fear, nothing to fear with regards to, uh, with regards to women. All right. I'm going to start with an article. I'm surrounded by hot women at the gym. Too many choices. What did you mean? Take a leadership position politically or personally? No, personally. No, personally. Take a leadership position. I mean, uh, <laughs> take a leadership position with, with regards to the woman. Tell her this is where we're going for dinner. It doesn't mean you be a boss or a bully or anything like that. Just say, here, here's where we're going for dinner. And if she doesn't want to go there for dinner, say, okay, I'm happy to take another suggestion uh, and uh, just take a leadership position. This is the movie I want to go see. Let's go see this movie and, and just take a leadership position. And then, of course, when you're in a relationship, there's certain areas where she's going to take a leadership position. You give her her area of expertise. You take your area of expertise and you divide the labor. And that's what makes marriage efficient and that's what makes marriage work. So... All right. How can I pinpoint the mental effects of circumcising? Um, there's a lot of documentaries out there uh, about circumcision, so you should uh, you should look into those. All right. I've also done my own work on it as well. I've got the truth about circumcision. Go to fdrpodcast.com, and then you can do a search, and below that is the um, uh, the videos are usually associated with the podcast. So you can just listen to the podcast if you want as well. All right. Let's let's dive into it now. Let's talk about Kayla. You got me on my knees. Okay, Kayla Chadwick. No idea who she is, but she works for or published on HuffPost a couple of years ago. 
And she wrote an article, said, I don't know how to explain to you that you should care about other people. I don't know how to explain to you that you should care about other people. Okay. So this is not all women, of course, lots of exceptions, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to talk about general trends, right? We understand that we, we have the mental capacity here, an IQ above 90, so we can process the fact that when I say women are shorter than men, replying that you know a tall woman uh, is not adding anything uh, to the conversation. So it's like, you know, throwing a squid into uh, uh, someone's hat. It's there, but so what? And I would strongly suggest, like I know people are talking about circumcision and so on uh, in the chat. My strong suggestion is really, really try and focus on what it is that I'm saying. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to look at the chat for comments and questions, but try and stay uh, on topic. Uh, and of course, if you want to talk about this kind of stuff, if you do want to talk about this kind of stuff, uh, I think it's great. And what I'm going to do, what I'm going to suggest is you join me uh, on uh, on channel, uh, on the uh, on the. Uh, let me just get this. Uh, yeah, here we go. I'm going to throw the Telegram chat thing in here, and you can uh, join me there So and, and talk about that stuff. But try and stay on topic here, because what you do when you have side conversations is you're distracting people from hearing the information, and the odds of them coming back to listen to it later may not be that high. So just really, really try and focus on the conversation. Squirrel! <laughs> and uh, we'll get it from there. Okay. I don't know how to explain to you that you should care about other people, says Kayla Chadwick. And... I don't know how to explain to you that you should care about other people. So one thing you need to understand about women is that things are so obvious to them emotionally that if you don't agree with them, it's just because you haven't understood them. So when a woman says, listen, a lot of times she simply means agree. And as long as you understand that, then you can have an honest disagreement with the woman and say, no, 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 I understand, right? So if a woman says to you, I really need you to listen to me, a lot of times what she's saying is, my feelings are so strong and they're so certain that the only conceivable reason that you might not agree with me is you just haven't heard me. And to make sure that you really, really hear a woman is the first step towards de-escalating conflict, right? Because if... You're absolutely certain of something, and someone's just not listening to you and resisting you and opposing you for reasons that make absolutely no sense. You're just going to get more and more upset. Like if, if you're in some town you grew up in, you know every street, uh, every corner, every boulevard, and someone's taking a wrong turn and you're, you're late for something, and that you, you try to explain to them, like, look, you're going the wrong way, turn around, and they simply don't listen, you're going to get more and more annoyed, right? So that's the thing to understand, that women feel that they're right. And, and their feelings are so absolutely certain that if you try to argue against what the woman is feeling without first truly absorbing and repeating back to her what she said, you're not going to get anywhere. You're not, so you need to listen to her. Doesn't, again, listening doesn't mean agreeing. For a lot of women, uh, uh, wanting to be listened to means wanting to be agreed with. That's fine. So you li- but make sure you listen, listen, listen. Fully absorb what she's saying, top to bottom, back to front, and, and really get it, explain it back to her. Once she felt, once she feels that you genuinely understand what she's saying, then you can have a disagreement with her. But if you try to disagree without going through the full deep process of listening, it's just going to get more and more tense, and you're going to have a useless fight. And again, a lot of men think, well, if I listen to something without talking back, I must be agreeing with it, and it bothers me, and I don't agree. It's like, that's, but, you know, play the long game, so to speak. So, um, 
So look at this title, right? I don't know how to explain to you that you should care about other people, right? It's so obvious that you should care for other people that if if you don't agree with her, I, 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 I don't know whatever, I, I have no idea what to say. So for a lot of women, like if you go outside and, and it's raining and, and you're with someone and you say, hey, it's raining, and they say, no, it's not, it would be like, uh, I don't really know how to explain that it's raining when it's raining and you're telling me it's not, right? So if you understand that, like for a lot of women, right, emotions are the empiricism of their existence, right? Emotions are the empiricism. And and we men, we can look at that and say, well, that's just crazy. It's not crazy. It's perfectly sensible in the right context and absolutely the reason why we're all here, the reason why we're alive, the reason why we evolved and progressed and became the apex predator on the planet. This is due to women's delightful, deep, passionate, and powerful emotionality. And for men to scorn women's emotionality when it's fundamentally the only reason that we're all alive is it's foolish and short-sighted and insulting to everyone. I don't know how to reason with women, but that's what I'm here to tell you. <laughs> I'm here to tell you. This is what I'm here for, okay? First thing you got to do, listen, you know, put your ego aside, put your disagreements aside. Once she feels fully listened to you, then you can begin to give her feedback. But until she feels fully listened to, you simply won't be able to make any, any headway. So she goes on to say, our disagreement is not merely political, but a fundamental divide on what it means to live in a society. She says, like many Americans, I'm having politics fatigue, or to be more specific, arguing about politics fatigue. I haven't run out of salient points or evidence for my political perspective, but there's a particular stumbling block I keep running into when trying to reach across the proverbial aisle and have those difficult conversations so smugly suggested by think piece after think piece. You know, like the ones where they said, you know, we really, really need to have an honest conversation about race. Oh, here's some facts about IQ. Okay, not that honest a conversation about race. That's not what we're talking about. She says, I don't know how to explain to someone why they should care about other people. All right, so best step is to never argue with a woman. It's just not worth it. No, 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 of course you've got to argue with a woman. Of course, you, you can't be in a relationship and self-censor and self-erase to that point. No, 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 you're not showing any respect for women by either bullying them or by uh, appeasing them. Right, uh, you don't want to be at their feet or at their throat. You just want to negotiate, but that's a little bit of a different thing, right? So, she says, "What does she say? What how, how what does it mean to care about other people? What does it mean to care about other people? Let's say uh, poor people, right? So poor people. Um, there's lots of ways you can care about poor people uh, that really, really mean something. So you can care about poor people, say, by running a show for 16 years where." Nobody pays you a penny. They can all call in and talk about their issues, get the benefit of your business experience, your philosophical experience, your self-knowledge experience. Uh, you can, as I have, paid for many listeners to go to therapy and, and get help that way. You can, you can really sit down and talk with people and listen to them. If you know someone who's, who's poor, who's underperforming, then you can sit down and figure out what their barrier is, what their block is, maybe give them some feedback, maybe help them get to a professional who can help them uh, bring out their their true potential. Lots of good things you can do for the poor. You can start a business and you can hire some poor people, thus raising their wages from zero to whatever you're paying them, and also, of course, raising the wages of other poor people because you're taking some poor people out of the equation by hiring them yourself, which drives up the wages to other other people. You can uh, tell poor people about Bitcoin. You can buy them, um, you know, some Satoshi amount and, and give it to them. You can do lots of things. 
to help uh, poor people. You can um, help people raise their income by suggesting that moms stay home with their kids, uh, breastfeed them more, uh, play with them more, cuddle with them more, have a great relationship with them, and that way people don't become broke by divorce and uh, child uh, welfare bills when it comes, or <laughs> teen ranch from hell bills when the kids are teenagers and so on, right? So she says, personally, personally, I'm happy to pay an extra 4.3% for my fast food burger if it means the person making it for me can afford to feed their own family. See, that is pretty interesting, right? That is pretty interesting. So let's, let's look at that sentence, right? Personally, I'm happy to pay an extra 4.3% for my fast food burger if it means the person making it for me can afford to feed their own family. If you aren't willing to fork over an extra 17 cents for a Big Mac, you're fundamentally, you're a fundamentally different person than I am. So that is very interesting. And that, you've got to understand, this is from, from a female perspective. And again, this is not only women, we're just talking averages here. So female perspective, what does it mean? Are you saying, this is, this is her incomprehension. And, and you've got to view it from this, right? You've got to view it from this side. You've got to view it from this side. If you want to help people to get more towards reason and evidence, right? You've got to help, help them, which means you've got to listen to where they're start, starting from, right? So if somebody says to this woman, I would rather keep my 17 cents so that the person making it for me cannot afford to feed their own family, right? Let's forget it's a plural to, it's a singular to plural, the person and their own family, whatever, right, fine. So from a, from a perspective of just in the moment, right, a tiny, tiny little time slice, right? So there used to be reporting that was based upon uh, principles, ideas, arguments, facts, data. Now there's, they can't just tell you the statistics of poverty. They have to find a poor person and talk to that person ad infinitum or ad nauseum because uh, women will connect by looking eyeball to eyeball. Women, women, women will connect by uh, empathizing with somebody that they can see at uh, the other end of the camera. And this is why you see these articles that start, you know, so-and-so, uh, woke up in a cold sweat. She couldn't afford to pay her bills, and and she lived in a small, rundown apartment in the Upper East Side. And she, you know, she had to trade in her car because she couldn't afford the insurance. And she gets up, and she doesn't. She has to use fish oil as a face cream because whatever. Right? And she's she's at risk of of bursting into flames or being eaten by a shark, uh, 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 you know, tornado style, sharknado style, right? So, if you say to to women abstract stuff, they won't connect with it. Think of some uh, physicist showing you a bunch of equations or an engineer showing you a bunch of equations or blueprints. And if you're not an engineer or a physicist, you can't connect to that stuff. It's just a bunch of squiggles for you. So when you bring a lot of data and, and charts and so on, for women, it's like, yeah, 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 but people. right? They need eyeball-to-eyeball -eyeball contact. They need to understand things in terms of something in the moment, something right in front of them, and a problem that can be solved that way. So, of course... If you say to a woman, I want to keep my 17 cents so that someone can't afford to feed their own family, right? That makes no, that makes no, no sense to a woman, right? And listen, if, if, if this was the case, if this was the case, you know, if you, if you aren't willing to fork over an extra 17 cents for a Big Mac so that some guy can, man or woman can afford to feed their own family, then you're a fundamentally different person than I am. Now, you understand there's no arguments here. I mean, there's a little bit of nonsense debt, right? And and just so you know, like the 
This is from a July 27th, 2015 study. Raising wages to 15 an hour for limited service restaurant employees would raise prices 4.3%. And uh, I guess um, the what is 4.3% on a Big Mac is 17 cents. All right. All right. Okay. So uh, whether that is true or not, right? But how could you possibly want to hold on to 17 cents rather than have someone feed their own family, right? Now, again, you may rebel and, and yeah, I get all of that. We got, but you got to understand where she's coming from. And you have to agree, of course, that it's good when people can afford to feed their own families. Of course it is. I would love for people to be able to, to feed their own families. So if you agree with the goal, right, like if a woman feels that, or a socialist, I kind of repeat myself there, but if a woman feels that you agree with the goal, like I am desperate for people to be able to afford to feed their own family on simple grounds of ethics, humanitarianism, compassion, and also, you know, I don't want them roaming around the neighborhood stealing stuff because they got to feed their own family, right? So, yes, of course we want workers to feed their own family. Uh, absolutely no question. I would love for to have a society where everyone could afford to feed their own family, right? Wonderful. Okay. The question is, paying an extra 17 cents for a Big Mac, is that going to be the way that someone can afford to feed their own family, right? So yes, there's a path that people take in life. They end up being unable to feed their own family. That's a bad thing. And and we should try to prevent that rather than wallpaper it over with the extra 17 cents, right? Because this person will be, she's on the left, right? Because she says, reach across the aisle, right? So she's on the left. So, so you would have to say, of course, so if, 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 whatever, a Big Mac. So if McDonald's charged an extra 17 cents, do you really think that all that money would go directly into workers' wages? Or would the managers and the executives pay themselves a big bonus, maybe give a little bit extra? Would they open more stores? Whatever, right? How do you know the extra 17 cents is actually going to go to the person, right? Now, the other thing, too, is uh, can't you just give them some extra money? <laughs> it's one thing to do, one thing to do, right? And the other thing, too, is that, you know, how many people working minimum wage are trying to feed a family, right? So I'm reading this Cheryl Atkinson book. It's a very, very good, called Slanted. And she talks about when she was a, a reporter, she was given um, a... a uh, a task to find a family that was living on minimum wage and trying to raise children and, and interview those people and, and just, you know, get the heartstrings tugging and the, we can't afford TV or whatever it is, right? So she was given this mission, try and find, you know, find a family uh, living on minimum wage. So she went to a bunch of poverty advocacy groups, right? And she said, you know, I, I need to interview people who are trying to raise a family on minimum wage, right? Quick question out of there. Quick question. Um, how many families did she find with two working parents trying to feed their kids on minimum wage? How many? Just out of question. I mean, those of us who know about the welfare state know the answer to this, but, you know, what, what do you have out there? How many? Yeah, she, that's right. She couldn't find a single one. She could not find a single family where two people were working minimum wage. So then she's like, okay, um, okay, give me a family with one person working minimum wage and they're like yeah we'll get right back to you and she couldn't find it they couldn't find even one person with one family okay give me a single 
parents trying to raise kids on minimum wage. Couldn't find anything. Okay, just give me anyone trying to live on minimum wage. Couldn't find it. She finally did find one guy who was old and taking a minimum wage job cleaning the park because he was bored and wanted something to do and didn't want much responsibility. And, of course, he also had Social Security, I assume, so he didn't need the money, but it was just, right, so zero. So how, how, like what, how, what kind of problem are you trying to solve? Is it a big problem that there are people making minimum wage trying to feed their own family? Um, so, and, and if you give the extra 17 cents, will it actually go to those people? The other thing, of course, is that if you pay extra for everything, then everything costs more for the poor people, Right? Everything costs more for the poor people. So if you raise the prices of everything, then you give higher, like you, you give minimum wage or $15 an hour, whatever it is for the, the people who are working in the fast food places. But because the prices of everything has been raised 4.5%, then they actually are, they have less purchasing power, right? So it doesn't really solve that problem. And you always have to reiterate that you absolutely want people to be able to feed their own families. Like, of course you do. And of course, there's also food banks and all of that, right? She also, by the way, in this book, she has a story where um, there was a, I think it was in New York, New York, coffee. She was in uh, in New York. The, uh, the governor decided to give a bunch of welfare people money uh, out of the blue to supposedly buy their kids' um, school supplies. And, but they didn't really say this ahead of time, didn't say what it was for, but the money just dumped into the um, the uh, bank accounts of the people on welfare. They just got hundreds of thousands or, or thousands of dollars. And what happened was, of course, the vast majority of that, though not all, right? So some of it was spent on school supplies, but most of it was spent on, you know, the usual suspects, which I saw when I was working up north in, in Ontario. You'd have a, um, a post office, uh, a beer store, and a convenience store. So you go to the post office back then, you would cash your welfare check. Uh, you would then go to the beer store, pick up some beer. You'd go to the convenience store pickups and smokes and then you'd you'd head home right and anyway so she went out and and filmed all this stuff and interviewed a whole bunch of people and and you know the stores uh, the clerks saying oh this is terrible i don't even know they would go and buy big screen tvs and so on and eventually she was not able but she was not able to uh, air the story does anyone want to guess why why she was not able to air the story because here you know here's a situation where um People didn't get an extra 17 cents per Big Mac or 4%. They got hundreds or thousands of dollars dumped into their bank account, which you think would be a good thing, right? I mean, that would be helpful. They would, you know, but why, why couldn't they? Why couldn't they go forward with the story? Why, why did the story get killed? Anyone know? Anyone want to guess? Uh, because, anyone? Uh, because when they filmed the ATM situation and the people on welfare were lining up to um, to get their money and the ATMs are running out of cash. Um, no, the reason that they couldn't air the story was uh, all, all of the people were black. Um, now, she argued, she said, yeah, but the social workers were black and the, the, I interviewed a black family that did spend the money on school supplies. And no, they didn't, but they can't, right? Because they can't show that kind of stuff because it goes against the victimized narrative ad infinitum, right? So the question is, why is somebody trying to feed a family while working at McDonald's? Let's say that this does occur, right? Like, why would somebody be wanting to, um, like, why would you, 
What is, what is that? Like, why? Why? First of all, uh, if you work at McDonald's, pretty sure you can take home some free food. <laughs> so, you you know, not all the food at McDonald's is bad. They used to have, until COVID, they had good salads and wraps. They still have the wraps, I think. But uh, so you can afford to feed the family. Like when I worked, uh, I worked two places. Actually taught me a lot about unionization. Uh, I worked at Pizza Hut and then I worked at Swiss Chalet. Now, Pizza Hut, I could uh, get free food whenever I wanted, which was great. Their fettuccine Alfredo was fantastic. And so was their uh, hot chocolate, by the way. And I love pizza. Pizza Hut pizza is the best. But um, um, I didn't have to pay for my own uniform. I got all the free food I wanted, and it was not unionized. And then when I went to work at Swiss Chalet, I had to pay for my uniform. I had to pay for my meals, and I had to pay 6 or 7 or 8%. I can't remember exactly what it was towards the union. Uh, and I got a much worse deal than when I was at uh, Pizza Hut. But, uh, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty sad. So... Yeah, so how is it that you're trying to feed a family and, and you're working minimum wage? This almost never happens because, of course, if you have a family, and this is why they couldn't, um, and this is why nobody was trying to raise kids working at McDonald's or minimum wage jobs because they get much more money on welfare. I did a show about this years ago called The Welfare Trap where it was a single woman with two kids who was on welfare would have to earn the equivalent of 62,000 US dollars a year just to break even, like just to make enough money to pay for all the benefits she got for free. So in other words, she would go to some fairly demanding job at $62,000 a year and effectively be taxed at a rate of 100%, 100% tax rate. And that's the problem with poverty is that you want to be generous to the poor people, but you don't want to uh, put them in a situation where it becomes profitable to be irresponsible, right? I mean, you want to help single moms, but you don't want to make it so that it becomes profitable to have kids without a dad around, right? Because then that's a problem, right? So that's what she says. She says, I'm perfectly content to pay taxes to go towards public schools, even though I'm childless and intend to stay that way, because all children deserve a quality-free education. If this seems unfair or unreasonable to you, we are never going to see eye to eye, right? So what do you do? What do you say? Well, it's not, no, not $62,000 a year for doing jack shit. It's $62,000 a year for making sure children grow up without a father. Particularly bad for black kids, of course, right? So so she says, I'm perfectly content to pay taxes to go towards public schools, even though I'm childless and intend to stay that way, because all children deserve a quality-free education. Well, you know, it's funny, too, because uh, uh, all of the immigrants coming in to do manual labor, you know, that there used to be a huge pool of people to do manual labor when I was younger. In fact, I was one of them. They're called teenagers, and they're actually already in the country. <laughs> you don't need to bring people in. To bring all of this stuff, right? McDonald's throws everything away and locks the dumpsters. Is that right? No, a girl on welfare makes the equivalent of $62,000 a year. In other words, she'd have to make $62,000 a year. It's higher now. This was five or six years ago I did this presentation. But uh, she would have to earn the equivalent of $62,000 a year uh, in order to get the equivalent of the welfare benefits. So she says all children deserve a quality-free education. Now, let me just scroll back up here. She is a contributor and video editor. So all children deserve a quality-free education, in which case I would first ask her why she didn't become a teacher and teach children for free. You said my friend got fired. You mean my friend got fired for eating two McNuggets after closing? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So all children deserve a quality-free education. Now, the word deserve here is kind of confusing or whatever it is, right? But 
So she believes that her taxes give all children a quality free education. Now, um, she means, of course, free to the children. I, I get all of that. But when she says, I'm content to pay taxes because children deserve a free education. Now, the engineering part of me, the, the rational part of me says that the first thing you want to do is nitpick with the woman and say, well, how can it be free if you have to pay taxes? And she's like, oh, don't be such a nitpicker. I get it. But it's free to the parents, blah, blah, blah. Right. So. So you could nitpick and say, well, why pay taxes can't be free, blah, blah, blah. But don't. So you say all children. So I, I would love nothing more in the world than children getting a quality free education or let's just say it, nothing's free right you understand I mean, you got to pay taxes for it but of course the goal is to get a quality education right the quality education now how do you know that government schools are the very best way to provide education right and and you can point out you know all the statistics that as the uh, amount of spending on students has gone up. Student performance and outcomes has gone down. There's a huge amount of violence and sexual abuse and, and bullying and, and fear and, and all of that that's going on in schools. You've got, you know, some of the schools in the inner cities in Baltimore and Chicago have like zero students proficient in math and, and English and so on. So the disagreement is this what you get. The disagreement is not in the goal. I want people to, to afford to feed their own family. Absolutely. Uh, I want people to get quality education. Of course, I, <laughs> I try to educate people here tonight, right? So, of course, I want. So, agreeing on the goal, right? So, if this seems unfair or unreasonable to you, we're never going to see eye to eye. So, uh, somebody said, welfare is addicting. I worked as a psychologist for a public health care unit where I live, saw people saying they wanted their son in prison. Oh, is that because they get additional benefits? This is another thing that drives the drugging of children, is if you get your child diagnosed with a mental illness, you get massive social security benefits, disability benefits. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty wild. It's terrible. So, and here's the other thing, too. So you put these two paragraphs together. And what you do is you, you, try, to, um, you try to knit things together into a cohesive worldview, right? Because my question would be to this woman, Look, I want people to be able to afford, feed their own family, and I want quality education. So after 12 years of quality education, how is it possible that somebody is only worth a couple of bucks an hour? Right? I mean, they've, they've been educated for 12 years. 12 years can make you a brain surgeon when you're 18, right? So how is it, if people are getting a free, like a quality education, like they, they learn job skills, social skills, economic skills, uh, uh, like they, they get a quality education. How is it that you have to pay an extra 17 cents so they can afford to feed their own family if they're actually getting a quality education because the people who are working at McDonald's mostly are adults? I mean, certainly they're adults if they're feeding their own family, right? Not a lot of 13-year-olds trying to feed their own family. So how is it after 12 years of quality education they're worth almost nothing in, in the marketplace? Right? So again, these are just sort of Interesting, interesting questions, right? She says, if I have to pay a little more with each paycheck to ensure my fellow Americans can access health care, sign me up. Poverty should not be a death sentence in the richest country in the world. If you're okay with thousands of people dying of treatable diseases just so the wealthiest among us can hoard still more wealth, there is a divide between our worldviews that can never be bridged. All right? Right. Right. So... 
Now, again, part of me is would immediately jump in to say things like, uh, well, they don't hoard their wealth, they invest it and create jobs, which raises the wages for everyone so they can afford health care, uh, that uh, government health care has been associated with lower uh, health outcomes, worse health outcomes than not getting health care at all, right? In fact, Medicare outcomes have been worse than people who don't get any kind of health care at all. And... So part of me wants to start in with the facts, but no, you have to understand and accept that, yes, of course poverty should not be a death sentence. Of course poverty should not be a death sentence, absolutely. Of course people should get access to health care. Absolutely. Uh, wouldn't you like a society with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. So... You have to absorb that, you know, it's like the old video of the fat guy with the cannon going into it. you got to absorb that information, man. Yes, I get it. I want, you and I, we agree completely. Now, I'm surprised that you became a video editor rather than a doctor and gave away your stuff for free, but, you know, whatever. Again, that might be a bit nitpicky, right? So... Agree with the purpose. Yeah, I, absolutely. So we're in agreement. I want healthcare to be as cheap, as available, as effective, as accessible, as humanly, humanly, humanly possible. We both agree with that. Like we both want to get to Vegas. You're saying we should take this route. I'm saying we should take this route. Now, again, you might want to you get in the ethics after, after it all, like the initiation of force and taxation is theft and blah, blah, blah. But... If you say, like, who would be okay with thousands of people dying of treatable diseases just so the wealthiest among us can hoard still more wealth? Right. Now, of course, the other thing I would say is since you're childless, for you having a reduction in income, it really only affects you, right? So you say, oh, I have to pay a little more. I got to pay 17 cents for my burger. I got to pay more for, I got to pay my taxes for schools. I got to pay for health care. It's like, okay, but that, you're making decisions for yourself. I think that's fine. You you can choose if you want to have less income. But if you're a parent, you really you, you don't have as much choice when it comes to voluntarily reducing your income because you got to pay for your kids. They should have something to do with it, right? So it seems kind of selfish to say, well, I'm willing to pay less and I'm only funding for myself and say, well, but parents should also pay less even though the children will end up with less, fewer resources through through that way, right? But sure, if you're okay hoarding wealth and so thousands of people are dead and and so for you know there's an old saying uh, comes out of stalin right a, a million deaths is a tragedy is uh, sorry a, a million deaths is a statistic as an individual death is a tragedy right so men we have a certain cold-hearted view of the world why because we compete for resources which means there's winners and there are losers and our tribes our societies are way better off way better off when we have winners and we have losers. And losers doesn't mean that they're existentially a loser. It just means like the, the music industry is better off when the people who write better music and sing better and play better instruments are the ones who get the recording contracts, right? So men, we win and we lose because we're in competition for the women. Now, women don't have that same cold-blooded, competitive, win-lose things for reasons I'll get into later. So for for you, you think of thousands of people dying of treatable diseases. If you're a man, you might say, okay, gosh, that's, you know, that's bad. I will pay a certain amount for that, but not too much. 
because, you know, 70% of uh, diseases are lifestyle related. In other words, you kind of choose to get ill. People smoke, they drink too much, they're lonely, which is like 15 cigarettes a day. They're, you know, they, they don't take care of their health. They don't eat well, they don't exercise. So, you know, sorry, but, you know, I, I'm not going to, like, I eat well, I exercise a lot, and I don't really want all my money going to people who are not taking care of their health because that's that's not productive that's a giant waste of resources oh but they're gonna die so for you as a man there's like this abstract thing about society but for women what they think of is they see those thousands of people uh, you know in in the bed uh, coughing the, the blotchy spots and they're dying and people are crying and there are flowers that, and and there's a, a funeral and there's m- music and somebody plays all by myself and and people cry and then there's a uh, uh, food and and you got to bring lasagnas over to the survivors and like they have this whole movie of the week playing through the thousands of people dying for men it's like yeah you know there's a cost benefit but we 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 view things kind of in an abstract fashion which has its value women view things like that's a conveyor belt of thousands of people dying and it hurts them like they're holding that person's hand as they die you know like it, it hits them just solid in the feels and it's it's a beautiful thing like it's a it's a beautiful thing if you've ever been in a hospital and you see how you're treated by the doctors who are usually male versus the nurses who are usually female it's a beautiful thing. Let's not diss it. Let's not be negative about it. So <laughs> I'm not going to sing that by myself at the moment. But so yeah, my first job, I got paid $2.45 an hour. So there's that. And yeah, they're kind of humiliating. There's this girl I wanted to impress uh, in high school. No, junior high school. I was in junior high. I think I was 13 at the time. No, that was my second job. My first job was working in a bookstore. Uh, It was great because they would rip the covers off the book and give me the books for free. I just went home with like half a dozen books every week and read like crazy, and it was fantastic. And the job I had, this was at a convenience store called Essentials in the Dom Mills Mall when it was still a mall. And it was a school I was trying to impress, and uh, she came into the store while I was having to scrape gum off the floor, and I was like, oh, this is not an alpha moment, man. (laughs) This is not... Uh, my granddad always said that Jamaican nurses were the best. Hmm? It's like that line uh, out of City Slickers with the, the Billy Crystal, right? So, so for the, for the women, yeah, thousands of people dying of treatable diseases. So some guy, you know, like I watched the Paris Hilton documentary, and um, I, I may do something on it because it's actually quite brave. It's had me sort of think about things that I should confess about my history, which nobody's ever heard of before. So. Hey, Steph, we love you from Australia. Love you back. Thank you so much for coming by. So this, this empathy, this, this sensitivity, it, it's a beautiful thing in the moment, in the world. Uh, I remember back when you could play tennis. Uh, I, I'm a go-for-everything tennis player. Um <laughs> You know, if I have to hit it pool cue style with the base of my racket handle just to get it back, I, I go for everything. Because, uh, you know, I hate to <laughs> I hate to lose, I hate to miss. And I was going backwards, and I had to do a real twist to get the ball back, and I just I fell on my ass and rolled on my back. And my, um, my wife, like, got moved, and she was, like, almost in tears. Are you okay? And all of that. And whereas I'm like, okay, I'm... I'm a little sore, but I'm fine. I'll, I'll be fine, you know. But 
she uh, right and and it's it's beautiful it's beautiful uh this this aspect of women right and and love it and and treasure it but it needs to be managed like some of the abstract stuff that men can do around uh well you know they're enemies of the revolution so put them all in concentration camps we don't have any empathy with regards to that can be really bad right so so how do you know how do you know that the more money that you're being put into is actually going to go to getting healthcare and not starting wars, right? I mean, it could be anything. So poverty should not be a death sentence in the richest country in the world. It's a very powerful statement, right? Very powerful statement. Now, wealth has to be generated in order to be transferred. And wealthy people, what if they don't just stick their money under a mattress. They can't because of inflation, right? So they, they invest, they buy, and so on. But of course, I completely understand it. In the Paris Hilton documentary, she, she's got these roomfuls of, of shoes right she's and and she says like i just like sitting around in, in track pants and i don't wear these shoes I, i've never been seen in the same outfit twice i keep the stuff i don't use it nobody organizes it just sits here rotting in a cupboard basically right and uh yeah so i understand that another pair of shoes sitting in paris hilton's closet is not that important relative to somebody getting a treatable uh, a treatable disease cured or something like that. So, yes, I, I agree. I agree. But there's a lot of corruption. Uh, when you give money to the government, you have no guarantee it's going to go for the right purposes, for the right reasons. There's a lot of theft. There's a lot of fraud. And what's wrong with charity? What's wrong with charity? Right? Shouldn't it be voluntary? Shouldn't it be voluntary? So she says, I don't know how to convince someone how to experience the basic human emotion of empathy. I cannot have one more conversation with someone who is content to see millions of people suffer needlessly in exchange for a tax cut that statistically they'll never see. Do you make anywhere close to the median American salary? Less? Congrats, this tax break is not for you. So she's obviously, <laughs> so this is a bit of a, it's a tell, right? This is kind of a tell, right? Do you make anywhere close to the median American salary? So uh, I'm going to assume that she doesn't make much money. Right. She doesn't make much money. So this is largely theoretical. <laughs> right. This is like, I'm happy to pay more and this and that. The other is like, well, but you're not because women on the whole take hundreds of thousands of dollars a year more out of the government than they put in. Men, of course, put hundreds of thousands of dollars more into the government than they take out. So she's not really paying much of this stuff because she's getting far more benefits than uh, she's paying for. Right. So pointing that out is a bit volatile but nonetheless it's uh it's still kind of kind of important right so she's saying she doesn't make much money okay well then everything she's talking about is like other people's <laughs> other people they're going to pay she's not getting her taxes raised she says i cannot have political debates with these people our disagreement is not merely political but a fundamental divide on what it means to live in a society how to be a good person and why any of that matters all right so here's the thing Here's the thing, right? She thinks that the government is a society, right? She thinks that the government is a charity. She thinks that the government is a, a friend. She thinks that the government is a parent. She, th she thinks that the government is the society. And the government is the opposite of the society. The society is the sum choice of people's voluntary options, right? It's the sum total of people's voluntary choices. Government is exactly what people don't want to do because they have to be forced to do it, <laughs> right? So uh, it is uh, e economic, right? The free market is economic dating. Government is economic rape, right? So 
uh, fundamental divide. So she thinks that a society means having people point guns at you, take money, keep most of it for themselves, and then bribe the rest of everyone else to remain dependent on the government. She thinks that is a society. Okay, she says there are all kinds of practical self-serving reasons to raise the minimum wage. Fairly compensated workers typically do better work. Okay. So if she can, <laughs> and this is part of the vanity. Now, we're all susceptible to this vanity. Maybe women a little bit more than men, but all susceptible to this, this vanity, right? So the vanity is that I'm smarter than the business leaders at McDonald's. I'm smarter than the business leaders at McDonald's. Because, you know, fairly compensated workers typically do better work. Now, what does that mean? It means, so I would say, look, if, if you have a better business idea than the people who run McDonald's, that's a pretty good thing, isn't it? That's a pretty good thing. Now, the idea that fairly compensated workers typically do better work is kind of the cause and effect thing that a lot of people have trouble with in economics. It's like, no, 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 no. Because if you're paying people more, you can demand better workers. It's not that fairly compensated workers typically do better work, like you take someone with an IQ of 85 and you double their salary and suddenly they've got an IQ of 110. It's not how it works. That if you pay people more, you can be more picky, be, be more choosy, you can have higher standards, and you can get better people. Yeah, somebody pointed out, fairly compensated workers do better work, or maybe they are compensated more because they do better work. Yeah, of course, of course. Of course. So, but but I would say, look, I mean, if you're smarter than the people who run McDonald's, then you should start a restaurant and, and make a fortune and, and pay people better and so on, right? But again, it's always other people who've got to do. Like you want to you wanna thump your chest and say, oh, I'm a good person. I care about people getting health care and I want kids to get educated. And it's like, well, why don't you go out and do it then, right? I mean, I, I want people to be more philosophical. So I go and put my ass and neck on the line every day. Sometimes my balls, it feels like too because I want people to be educated in philosophy. I don't just sit there and say, well, it would be really great if the government funded philosophical programs and educated people in philosophy. It's like, go out and do it. I mean, all the time that she spent writing this article, she could have been out there helping poor people. Crazy. She says, uh, practical self-serving reasons. Fund public schools. Everyone's safer when the general public can read and use critical thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I should. I would never do this to her face. I'm just. It, it strikes me as enormously funny. So this woman, educated in government schools, who doesn't have a scrap of critical thinking to her name, genuinely believes that public schools teach critical thinking. She thinks you give money to the government and paradise results, right? And she's a perfect example of how. Well, you're not safer with this tax-hungry woman around, right? Because your pocketbook isn't safe. It's, it's the irony, right? It's like the irony in um, the Paris Hilton, and spoiler, skip ahead for a sec if you haven't seen it, Paris Hilton's uh, documentary. She, 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 from the age of 13 to 15, she turned into a club nut, right? She went clubbing and, and, and uh, nightclubs and so on, not seals, and nightclubs. And her parents were so terrified of her getting like kidnapped that they actually had her kidnapped. They literally had her kidnapped, dragged from a bed in the middle of the night, taken to one of these absolutely brutal, brutal teen re-education gulags. And uh, she was she was beaten, and she was put in solitary confinement. She was incredibly traumatized, and she was there for years, various schools. Unbelievably brutal. We're so afraid of you getting kidnapped. We're going to make sure you get kidnapped. It's crazy. Anyway, 
So, she says, and make sure every American can access health care. Outbreaks of preventable diseases are generally undesirable. And that's the snarkiness, right? Like, it's so obvious. Because, you know, <laughs> without the government, I mean, without the government, who the hell is going to develop gain-of-function research on bat coronaviruses? I mean, that's not going to, free market's not going to do that. It's no benefit to the free market doing that. Without the government, who's going to fund this stuff in North Carolina and then ship it over to Wuhan? Without the government, who's going to call Trump racist for trying to close the borders from a pandemic from China? <laughs> Come on. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, but if making sure, and also the vast majority of improvements in health have to do with sanitation and, and uh, exercise and particularly better food and better water and so on. It doesn't have much to do actually with healthcare as a whole. All right. But she says, but if making sure your fellow citizens can afford to eat, get an education and go to the doctor isn't enough of a reason to fund these things, I have nothing left to say to you. And this is the kind of critical thinking that she doesn't have, which is, well, the government does X. And if the government doesn't do X, X won't get done. Which is like saying, well, the slaves pick the cotton. So if there's no slavery, the cotton won't get picked and we'll all freeze to death in the winter. Anyway, I'm for universal health care. Right. So you're a gangster. Right? You're a you're a you're a thug because you want guns and bullets to achieve your utopia. Yeah, a very deeply dangerous human being, afraid to say. I can't debate, she says, I can't debate someone into caring about what happens to their fellow human beings. The fact that such detached cruelty is so normalized in a certain party's political discourse is at once infuriating and terrifying. Yeah. She can't debate and she's hyper-emotional. And by the way, did you know statistically that the more emotional a woman is, the more likely she is to end up with a psychopath as a uh, boyfriend, husband, lover, whatever, right? So she's, in, she's infuriated. She's terrified. She can't debate. And yet she believes that schools teach critical thinking. <laughs> so not caring about what happens to their fellow human beings. So... I care enormously what happens to my fellow human beings, which is why I don't want guns pointed at them to follow this woman's virtue signaling. I don't want guns pointed at people. I don't want their property taken um, uh, by force. And here's the thing too, right? Like, does she does she not care about the children? I mean, oh, I care about the children. But doesn't she, you know, the children are born into like a million dollars at least of debt, right? Because of all of this funding, right? So where, where is the talk about, well, we care about the children, and the children didn't vote for any of this. They're not responsible for the society that they're born into, right? So doesn't she care about the children? There's nothing in here about how to pay off the debt, right? Because, you see, paying off the debt would require her to make difficult decisions and, and prioritize something as opposed to, well, I'm, I'm willing to theoretically pay money I'll never actually have to pay in order to achieve some imaginary good in society. What's the matter with you? Well, where is, where is her concern for the children born into mass? Where's her concern about the debt, right? Somebody says, Steph, do you feel we in the West are living in a dystopian nightmare? God, no. Absolutely not. No, no, no. You see, you can wake up from a nightmare. We're stuck with this shit. Don't insult nightmares by comparing them to the modern West. And also, you're somewhat responsible for your own nightmares 
due to self-knowledge. She goes on to say, The I've got mine, so screw you attitude has been oozing from the American right wing for decades, but this gleeful exuberance in pushing legislation that will immediately hurt the most vulnerable among us is chilling. Yeah. Okay, so vulnerable is a word. I want to explain this word, and I've touched on this before, so I'll, I'll do it briefly here. But, but this is a word important to understand, right? Vulnerable. Why are women so egalitarian? Why are women so against? Uh, why is it freedom of opportunity has to be scrapped for equality of outcome? Right? Equality of opportunity has to be scrapped for equality of outcome. Okay, first thing you've got to always remember when you're dealing with women, they are programmed for zero to seven years of age. They're programmed for zero to seven years of age. Now, and this is understood by many cultures, right? I think Jewish, certain Jewish sexes, like if there's a divorce, the woman gets the kids from until they're seven years old, the man gets them after that, husband gets, father gets them after that. So you got to understand, and, and I hate to pull this stay-at-home dad thing, but I've been home for this kind of stuff, so I've really, really seen this in action, right? I've been up front, up close and personal for this, right? So for a woman, let's say, and, and women had a whole bunch of kids, whole mess of kids, right, in, in the past, you know, this like one kid and three cats stuff is going on. It's pretty new, right? So you're a woman, you've got four kids, right? And they're all under the age of six. You can't let one of them compete. You can't let the youngest compete against the eldest. You don't just give them a bunch of food and say to the three-month-old baby and the six-year-old boy, well, good luck. Compete for it. Fight for it, <laughs> right? Winners and losers. She has to make sure things are equal. Or as a friend of mine with two very competitive daughters said, but he would say, uh, he would go into an ice cream place and say, I'd like two ice creams. And if you have an atomic weigh scale, please use it so that one child doesn't accidentally get one more atom of ice cream than the other child because they'd sit there and measure it. And I did the same thing. I did that. I remember my brother and I were up in um, Scotland. We were thinking of moving to Scotland, not Canada, way back in the day. So we were up in Scotland and we were staying at a place and we got to write in the guest book. We got to write in the guest book our comments uh, on where we were staying. <laughs> and of course, we had to have the same number of letters. It all had to be ferociously equal. And my brother wrote super and I wrote duper. Because <laughs> I didn't mind being second. He got the, he got the, can I still remember this. Like, oh my God. <laughs> like it's almost 50 years later, right? And I still remember this. My brother wrote super and I wrote duper. <laughs> super duper, that was it. That's how, it, well, you gotta be equal. Gotta be equal. Gotta be equal. And this this equality thing, when you you when you describe the vulnerable, the marginalized communities, understand that for women, that is like the runt of the litter. It's the kid who's being shortchanged, and she is genetically, biologically, emotionally programmed to redistribute from the older and the more successful and the stronger and the bigger to the younger, the less successful, and the smaller and the weaker. And and she's entirely right to do that. There's no free market for food for the under seven set in a household, right? You got to share. You know, if she has twins and one of them is smaller and weaker than the other, then of course she's not going to sit there and say, well, I'm only going to breastfeed the stronger one or the hell with the weaker one and the younger one because she can't do that because she's invested so many calories and emotions and everything into growing a baby. She can't just say, well, you know, let's let the weak one fade off and, and let's make pour our resources into the strong one. She can't do it, which is why... When you see this as vulnerable and marginalized and excluded and uh, that's that's 
That's the kid, that's the runt of the litter who's not getting enough food, and women are tortured by that, and they should be in their own family, or in their own community, in their own tribe. Of course they should be. Of course they should be. They have to equal things out. You can't be given 50% of the calories to one of the kids. You can't. You have to even it out. And, of course, that's to keep the peace as well. Because we're all born with that super-duper philosophy. You get one word, I get the other. You can have the first word because you're older, but I get the second one. It's got to be the same number of letters, super-duper. We all have that philosophy. (laughs) My brother was supposed to be able to stay up five minutes later than I was when I was a kid. And sometimes, if I was feeling grumpy, I'd sit in my bed and I'd count to 300. (laughs) And one time I came out and they were making cookies. (laughs) Right? So you, you got, we all know this if we're siblings, right? You've got to fight. You've got to fight for your portion. You've got to fight for your share. And you're constantly scanning to make sure that you get your fair share. And it's the mom who's responsible for equality of outcome. And if there's not equality of outcome, she feels intense anxiety. And she should. And she's right to feel that. You understand? Now, if you can convince women that this section of society or that section of society are marginalized and 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 vulnerable and excluded and they don't have a voice and then it, it it hooks into their programming for egalitarianism among toddlers among toddlers and that's exactly right we've all seen it right we've all see go to a park right all right you've had five minutes on that swing now you give your brother a turn he's got to have five minutes on the swing right and you know, count to 300 right? <laughs> like me right Now, this is particularly true, what happens to all of these instincts when women can be talked into not having children, right? What happens to all of these instincts for radical egalitarianism? Well, they're not applied to their own children, so they become applied to groups in society, immigrants or blacks or Hispanics or or whoever, marginalized, excluded, whatever, right? And so you get this natural... I wouldn't say it's it's path, it's not pathological when it's her own children or her community's children. It's pathological when it's applied to abstract political entities. Sympathy for the underdog. You know, when I was, and I remember this transitioning even when I was a little kid. When I was a little kid, you would go from the hero movies, right? Like the, the John Wayne hero movies. And then it was all like sympathy for the underdog movies. And that's for women. Women, sympathy for the underdog, man. Sympathy for the underdog. I mean, lusting after the alpha male, but sympathy for the underdog makes perfect sense. It makes absolutely, you understand that, that for her, she, these are the kids she's not having. Right? I've got mine, so screw you. Now, if you can imagine a mom with a six-year-old and a one-year-old, and the, you know, the, the, the six-year-old is grabbing food from the one-year-old saying, I've got mine, screw you. What's the mom going to do? What would you do as the dad? Of course you'd say, no, you can't have that. Now, let's say that you've got a, uh, an eight-year-old and a three-year-old, right? And the eight-year-old, it, it's Halloween. The eight-year-old comes back with bags of candy, and the three-year-old, if he even went out at all, has barely anything, right? Well, what are you going to say to the eight-year-old? you got to share. And the eight-year-old's going to resist it, but you're like, come on, you know, you were three once. We gave you candy, and, you know, this is your brother and sister. you gotta, you got to even it out. you got to even it out. And so evening things out is entirely the job of moms with toddlers. Now, the reason they get passed over to their dads is the dads have to start filtering according to excellence to make sure that society's resources 
are best used, right? So that the best hunter gets the bow, right? Because he's the one who's going to bring down the, the food, which everybody's got to eat or you starve, right? So, no, it's not socialist. So people say all moms are socialist, hence why dads are needed as the authority, right? So no, it's not socialist if it's your family. It's not socialist if they're toddlers. It is socialist when you mistake the government for the society for the family and you mistake actual grown adults for toddlers. But they're vulnerable. Then they're, You see this all the time, right? You see this all the time. And so look at these people's examples, right? Look at this woman's examples and you'll see exactly what I mean and you'll see it everywhere. This is why this is going to be one of your things, right? What is she talking about? Feed children. I'm happy to pay an extra 4.3% of my fast food burger person can make it and feed their own family. Feeding children. Boom. Number one. Well, of course you have to be egalitarian when it comes to feeding children, right? Of course, right? Educating children. What's the second one? Quality-free education. Yeah, so of course the primary job for moms was to educate the children, to transmit the cultural values and continuity of civilization. Well, that's just why when you convince... Uh, it, it is cultural genocide when you convince women to not have children or at least to have children and dump them in daycare because that's it for your entire cultural continuity, right? I mean, can you imagine? I mean, the, the Jewish uh, religion uh, has been running for, you know, 5,000 plus years and, you know, they're not putting their kids in daycare because they got to stay home and meh, teach the kids the values, right? So, so what has she got? Feed your own family. Educate the children. And make sure people don't get sick. Healthcare. So this woman doesn't even have a clue that she's talking about everything that she would be doing with children, making sure that they're educated, making sure that they have enough to eat, making sure that they don't get sick, and treat and taking care of them if they were sick. Uh, my mom, as I said before, fantastic when I was ill. She was terrible as an employee, but she was great when I was ill. She was really, really good. So you understand. All that she's talking about is exactly what she would be doing if she had her own children. Education, health care, food. And this is why women talk about this stuff and is much less about shelter because shelter is generally provided by, by the man, right? So, I've got mine, so screw you. Well, that's kind of a male thing, right? Which is, look, I'm I'm winning. Look, you guys are watching me rather than someone else, right? So I'm I'm glad to be winning because if nobody was watching me, it would be a bit of an odd show, <laughs> I suppose, right? So, so there's a there's a pivot, right? So when when kids are young and they're they're singing, um, what do the moms say? Oh, it's lovely. Oh, even if it's not, right? And then at some point, and you, you can see this. Um, in the uh, American Idol stuff where the, the men are just blunt and harsh and the women are all like, well, sweetie, you know, this kind of stuff, right? I don't know. So, you know, if, if a kid's drawing a picture, you know, five-year-old draws a picture, what does the mom say? Oh, it's beautiful. I love it. I'm putting it up on the fridge. Wonderful. That's exactly what she should be doing. Be encouraging. Open things up, right? But if the 15-year-old is drawing a crappy picture, what's the dad going to say? That's not very good, right? You know that, yay, you know that, yay, positive stuff, right? Positive stuff. You know, uh, you, you threw a ball, yay, you, you caught a ball, yay. You know, this is very good stuff. It, it's exactly what women should be doing and moms should be doing. But the dads who coach Little League, well, you got to be good at hitting the ball and you got to be good at catching the ball and you got to be good at throwing the ball. Otherwise, you can't win. 
So then you start excluding. Now, for women, it's kind of tough because it's tough for them to peel their hearts away from that early childhood stuff where you've got to encourage everything and everything has to be completely egalitarian. Has to be, or we don't survive. Has to be, or we don't survive. Because if you invest huge amounts of time, energy, and calories and then ignore the egalitarian requirements of toddlers, the toddler's going to get sick or hungry or die or whatever, wander off. So, but then the men have to start sorting by meritocracy, by talent. You know, like some little kid banging away on the xylophone, the mom's like, yay, great song, right? You know, you try that uh, to, to get a recording contract, no, no luck, because all the men are going to be like, no, that sucks, sorry. It's not for you, man. No, 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 no. Right, so women are the eternal yes, and men are the nope, nope, nope. Women are enthusiasts, and men are skeptics. Women encourage, and men discourage. Right, so you want women to encourage so that the most number of people try to do the most number of things, and you want men to discourage so that only the very best end up in control of the resources so that you maximize. Like, it's one thing to, yay, great picture. It's another thing to say, well, even if you're a good or bad with a spear, everybody gets a spear and runs into battle. It's like, that's how to lose a battle. You want the, guy who's, the guys who are the very best with the spears to get the spears, right? Puh, right? So uh, she says, uh, perhaps it was always like this. I'm, a relatively, I'm relatively young. So maybe I'm just waking up to this unimaginable callousness. And it is unimaginable. For a lot of women, it's unimaginable. It's unimaginable that a man might look at someone who is dying uh, of obesity. Like, I, my relationships with people who are overweight is quite complicated, so I'll be very honest about that. And I was a little bit more overweight when I was younger, when my daughter was born, I lost, I don't know, like 25 or 30 pounds or whatever, because it had kind of crept up on me working at home and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, whatever. And I've kept that weight off. In fact, I weigh now less than I did when I was 18. But it's hard. It's, it's hard. It's hard. So, but, you know, when it comes to the fact that the, the super spreaders for COVID uh, are mostly obese people, I'm kind of pissed off at that. Because it's one thing to say, oh, I'm only damaging myself. You overeat. It's like, well, you caused a pandemic that's destroyed half the world's economy. Because if you weren't overweight, then the disease would barely have spread. And I'm doing my best, you know. <laughs> I'm doing my best. I was mindful of the speech I gave about Jesus and Easter. I'm doing my best. But I gotta, I'm got i straight up frank with you. I'm kind of pissed. I'm, I'm kind of pissed. Um so if somebody's obese and they know it's bad for them and they know they should lose weight and they know they shouldn't have gained that weight to begin with. And look, I have sympathy. If you've got crappy parents who shower you with junk food and you, you're overweight as a kid, that's really tough. I really sympathize. I really, really do. But, you know, you know, you got you to gotta lose the weight. You just got to lose the weight. You got to lose the weight. Now, if you don't lose the weight, and then you get joint problems, and you get diabetes, and you get skin rashes because you can't clean yourself properly, and and then you die from COVID. It's like, yeah, that's that's a shame, and it is. It's a real shame. It's a real shame. But for women, it's like, oh, this is so, all they see is the moment of the the sick person and the uh, the pleading eyes and the, the regret and the dying, and they they moved by that, and and I, I think it's beautiful. I think it's beautiful that women are moved by that. I really, really, 
I think it's beautiful that women are moved by that. And we have to say, yes, but here's the problem, that, that, that if we throw all of our resources at people who make bad decisions, we just end up with more people making bad decisions, right? We just end up with more people making bad decisions. And that's the long-term thing, right? Because women are about the moment. They're about the person's dying. I feel bad. I see their picture, uh, their face in my mind. They're pleading. They're so oh, dying, right? And, and I love that about women. I think it's a beautiful thing. And, and I'm glad that they do that. And it's the man's job to say, I think it's beautiful that you do that. And we want to prevent that as much as possible, right? Yes. We want to prevent that as much as possible, which means if we pour lots of money and resources into people making bad decisions, it will solve your problem in the moment, but we'll just end up with more of it. You understand? It's kind of like an addiction. Like if you have chronic unhappiness and you solve it with cocaine, you're just guaranteeing yourself future unhappiness. And you want to make the sad images in your mind go away by thinking that everyone's taken care of. And I respect that. I love that about you. I understand it. I share your goal. But we got to look at the long term as well. You don't just take cocaine to solve an emotional problem. And you don't just throw money at people making bad decisions and think you're going to do anything other than have more people making bad decisions. And also, you would say, you know, if I tell you what to do, do you want to do it? If I bully you, if I force you, if I control you? No. You don't want to do what I tell you to do, what I order you to do, what I force you to do. It's going to probably produce the opposite result, right? Like, you could say this, I mean, this is a bit volatile, but you could say, no, 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 as a patriarch, I forbid you from having this opinion. Now, she's just going to laugh at you, right? And I said, okay, but what if I was serious about that? I'm not, but what if I was serious? As a patriarch, I forbid you from having this opinion, right? You'd be like, screw you. You're not a patriarch. I can have whatever the hell opinion. So, yes, you see, when you're forced to do something or you're threatened to do something or there's uh, some claim of authority over you, you push back and you resist, you don't want to do that. It's the same thing with the state. The state can force people to do stuff, but they just resist it, and it goes the opposite way in the long run. So, but that's how you end up taking control of a culture is you, well, first of all, you convince women to not have children. You uh, separate women from their offspring, so a cultural transmission can't occur. And then you make sure that you do as much as humanly possible to take the men out of the equation, and then you end up with this goopy, uh, everything feeling socialism so at what age should there be a transition i think around seven seven or eight seven is a pretty important uh you know the age of reason the age of moral responsibility and it's a pretty important milestone for uh for people as a whole so i think uh, uh i think so anyway i just i let me just give you the link to this um because i think it's a very interesting uh, article and Again, I, I love this woman's care and concern. I think it's a beautiful thing that she wants to do. I really do. I think that she's very thoughtful and really, really wants the best for the world. Right now, though, unfortunately, she's just being used as a tool to give politicians more power. Oh, more power, more power, more power. That's what they're all about at the moment, right? So... <laughs> I love that, that uh, Nordic-looking guy who's in the memes... Uh, this woman saying, you're dumping me because I had a gangbang before we even dated? Yes. <laughs> Hard to argue. I think that's a no-brainer, isn't it? Uh, let me just give you guys this. Uh, okay, so listen, uh, that's sort of the main thing that I wanted to uh, point out here. If you want to ask me any questions, uh, I've got certainly more thoughts about it, but we'll probably make this a series. What would you like to ask me if something to do with women? That would be uh, fantastic. But um, I, there were some really good ones around GameStop as well with that guy. 
can't we just sell our game stock stock and become millionaires says the woman and the man's like no they must pay <laughs> it's a really good meme it's a really good meme all right what do we got here Unrelated to the article, but I want to tell Steph how thankful I am to have found him and philosophy so young. Well, uh, I'd like it if you found me so young, but it's not happening. My life has completely changed around. Well, I think that's wonderful, and I, I thank you for your very kind words. And um, listen, here's, here's the thing. Look, I hugely appreciate this very kind sentiments, but I, I want to make sure that you praise yourself first and foremost. You got to praise. Look, it, you had to recognize the value of philosophy. You had to incorporate it into your own life. You had to dedicate yourself to the study and pursuit of wisdom, truth, and virtue at, I am sure, great personal cost to yourself at times. You know, as Nietzsche says, anyone who resists the mob will be uh, frightened, alienated, and sometimes even terrified. But no price is too high for the privilege of actually owning yourself, which means thinking for yourself. So I really, really appreciate the kind words, but don't mistake the great things that have happened in your life for me or for philosophy. If you want to know who's really changed your life, who's really made things better for you, look in the mirror. It's you. You should wake up and give yourself pterodactyl backslaps every morning for rededicating yourself to philosophy, truth, and virtue. It's not me. It's not me at all. Oh, this diet book changed my life. Nope. <laughs> it's not the diet book. The diet book may have been a catalyst, but it's you who've done it. And you should be proud about that. And praise to me, again, I really thank you. It's a very kind thing, and I don't minimize it. I'm not trying to evade it or, or false humility or anything, but make sure you praise yourself first and foremost. Because, listen, there's a lot of people who come across my show and run the other direction screaming, and you're not one of those people, so that's absolutely your case. Uh, any thoughts on dating women that are on birth control and things changing when they go off birth control? Yes. Uh, so birth control can do some pretty epic things to women's personalities and uh, it makes them somewhat more hypermasculine. I would say in general, and this is based upon my own experience as well. So I would say in general that if you find a woman, someone, first thing you want to do, you're on a date, assess for the long term, assess for the long term. Right. I remember once meeting this woman. She, oh, she was stunning. Just beautiful. And uh, I invited her out for coffee. She came out with me for coffee. And we walked over to the coffee shop, and we got a coffee, and we sat down. And I was like, I was working so hard because I'm like, man, she is so pretty. Please, dear Lord above, let me find something of value in, in between this woman's ears, right? And I was like trying all these different angles, and it's like, because she's so pretty. <laughs> Please don't make me have to say goodbye to her because if I one thing, anything, it could be an interest in Egyptian archaeology. It could be anything. Maybe she knows something about Picasso. Anything. Just please, please give me give me this on a platter. Nope. No. No. Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. It's like, oh, man, that's a shame. Oh, it's a shame. It's a shame. So, yeah, you got to assess for long term, right? Is this someone I could settle down with? This is someone who would could raise children with. This is someone who's going to take care of me when I get old. This is someone I want to take care of when she gets old. Is this someone that I'm going to enjoy her company, uh, even when we're not having sex for whatever reason, you know, your kids and, and all of that, right? Is this someone that I want to spend my life with? And you got to, first and foremost, boom, right there, right there, up front. Now, it doesn't have to be your leading question, but let's say there's a yes to that. Okay, so then you keep exploring that, keep, you know, testing it, be honest with yourself, try and take a leadership position, let her lead, because if you have a leadership position and she lets you lead, that's fantastic, 
means that you gain some authority in certain aspects of the relationship. If you let her lead and she doesn't become mean and abusive and a petty tyrant and a Karen, fantastic, then then she can handle power, which means she can handle power over children, right? So you let you let people boss you around in the dating relationship to make sure that they don't misuse power, and, and this is your test for whether they'll be good moms, right? And so always be assessing for that. Now, if, and again, for me, it was like, I don't know, two or three months, I'm like, Phew. There's no way I'm doing better than this. There's no way I'm doing better than this. And um, we were married, and we had to wait for various practical reasons. But yeah, we were, we were, from from first date to 100% married, less than 11 months, if I remember rightly. But certainly, yeah, 11 months or less. So, if you are interested in that, then I would say marriage. You know, get spend a little bit of time trying to figure out. Um, how you enjoy living together, but my wife and I started trying for kids five months after we got married, right? So, I mean, why not, right? Want kids, love each other, enjoy each other's company. And uh, so if you are looking for uh, getting married and having kids, then you can ask her to go off birth control uh, before, like while you're still dating, right? And maybe you can fool around using other ways than straight up semen-laced intercourse or whatever. So, um, yeah, uh, just aim for that for sure. All right, let's see here. I imagine if I took a testosterone pill once a month, that would change my personality, right? I don't think it would. I don't think it would. A wise man once said to look for an amazing future mother of your child. Yeah, of course, of course. Uh, Steph, thoughts on women who use abortion as birth control? Morally abhorrent? Well, it's just a very clear signal that they lack forethought, planning, and empathy. And... You know, listen, listen, guys, look, we're dudes, most part, some women here, too, and I don't mean to speak on your behalf, I just speak for the men, right? Like, we know, we know that we will never, ever, 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 ever understand what it is like to kill a growing baby in our own bodies. We just won't know what that's like. We don't know what that does. We don't know what that does to us, because it's not going to happen. Statistically... It's brutal for women. Not only are there health issues and and so on, but uh, depression, anxiety, a sense of shame, a a sense of loss, a sense of the shadow kid that never made it, always hanging around, particularly if they don't end up having kids at all and they just killed the one that, the only one they could have had. I mean, it's unbelievably brutal. It's unbelievably brutal. Which is not to say a woman can't make a mistake and it's not to say, oh, I get all of that, right? But... Abortion as birth control, um, I mean, that's, that's uh, to me at least, that would be a woman broken beyond repair. It's a woman broken beyond repair. And I'm, I'm like, I'm sorry that uh, uh, she's just a, she's not a bringer of life. She's a death factory. Okay, I'm sorry to be so harsh. I really am because I, I, I can sympathize with the kind of upbringing that might lead a woman down that path. But, You know, when you hug her and you feel the crunch of tiny gravestones in her middle, that's that's pretty rough, man. That's pretty, pretty rough. Tom says, my wife does not want to leave her job to raise our kids. We are both high-income owners. My children are being raised by a nanny. Help! Well, look, if she's comfortable being put in a home when she gets older, I guess she can make that choice, right? But 
you know, in the same way that we make decisions for our children based upon what their adult selves are going to say to us. Like you let your child eat candy and get fat and don't exercise and, and stare at screens all day and lose their eyesight or whatever, right? Then your, your, your kid, when they grow to be an adult, they'll look back and you say, like, I'm fat, I'm, I'm sick, and I can't see anything. I got like two aquariums where eyeballs should be. Damn you, mom and dad, for making these terrible decisions. She's going to be mad at you, and she's right to be mad at you. So I would ask your wife to have empathy for her future self. If she puts her kids, your kids, in daycare so she can go and make money, what is she going to say? You know, she's going to live seven years longer than you on average, right? It's one of the reasons I try to eat well and exercise and stay healthy because I don't want my wife to be, you know, she'll be brokenhearted when I'm dead and I just don't want to do that to her. So, so you're going to die. She's going to be 70, 75, alone, lonely, sad, isolated, and she's going to want to come and live with her kids and grandkids and be part of a big, happy, bustling family. But she already set the precedent that you don't allow family obligations to keep you from making money. She's going to get her old ass dumped into a, a home. Why? Because the kids that are currently in daycare are going to be old and making money. And they're going to, and it's, it could be completely unconscious. It doesn't really matter. But what they're going to say is, wait, you want me to take care of you? I'm out here making money. Remember when you had the choice between taking care of us and making money, you chose making money. So I'm putting you in a home so I can go make money. That's what you taught me. That's what you taught me. You've never apologized for it. You never said it was anything wrong. So it's a good thing to abandon your family obligations to go and make money. It's what you did. It's what you praised, what you defended. You were a strong, empowered woman. Now, if your wife could have a conversation with her 65 or 70-year-old or 75-year-old future self who's got another 15 years to live on the planet, does she want it stuck in a dusty, dead, out-of-the-way corner-ass room with strangers? Eating shitty food and playing dead-eyed canasta across a dusty table when she doesn't really sleep that much? It's got no connection with people. No conversation worth having. Does she want to be in the endless laundry cycle of blue-haired bitty monsters tucked away in a remote death chamber of the world waiting out the last 15 years of their existence for visits that almost never come? Feeling like an imposition, having people be too busy to spend any time with them? No connection with the kids. No connection to the grandkids. She can't even see the grandkids. Why? Because the grandkids are in daycare. Does she want to go and hug and hold her grandkids and teach them the ways of the world and play with them and feel that last flowering of youth before the wet fingers of time put out the candle of our existence? Brief as it is. Because she's going to say, I want to spend time with my grandkids. Oh, mom, I'm busy. I'm working. We put them in daycare just like you did. Come on. There's nothing wrong with that. That's how we were raised. Is she going to regret it then? Right now, she's being paid. Next, she pays. Right now, she's getting the income and the salary 
when she's 65 or 70. She gets 10, 15, 20 years of solitary confinement with an entire domino deck of the walking dead fumbling their way, drooling and dizzy towards death. Does she want that? Is that when she's 70 and you're dead and she's stuck in a home, barely sees her kids, doesn't see her grandkids really. People come to visit her, everyone's bored, no connection. Is she going to sit there and say, bam! What a great idea I had when I was 25 or 30 or 30. What a, what a great idea I had. Because now, you see, I have an extra $100,000. Now, I'm kind of too old to travel. Um, I can't really eat that much anymore. and My joints are gone and my vision is half gone and my hearing, I got tinnitus in one ear or whatever, right? But I have $100,000 extra that I can't really do anything with. And it won't buy love. And it won't buy family. And it won't buy connection. And I chose money over my children. And now my adult children choose money over me. That was a bad call, man. I don't care about the money. I care about the people. But now it's too late to fix it. It's too late to reverse. The damage is done. The past is the past. Restitution is impossible. Forgiveness. (laughs) See, I put my kids in daycare, and daycare didn't teach them the Christian Western values of forgiveness. All the daycare taught them was how to hold their head down like Piggy in Lord of the Flies and try some way to survive. But because I put my kids in daycare, I can't even apologize and have them forgive me, which would have been the case if I'd raised them with the Christian value of forgiveness. No restitution. No forgiveness. Just a dying mind in a rotting corner in a failing body. And a long way to go to the sweet release of death. It's a bad call, man. It's a bad call. You know, my daughter, of course this is going to change. She's 12, right? going to be 13 this year. She's already drawing up plans to build a house in our front yard. That's her plan. Doesn't want to move far away. I hope she doesn't. I hope she doesn't. And if she does... My wife and I will just move there because I love you guys. I'm thrilled to have these conversations. Uh, It's a beautiful community here. It really is. You guys are the best. You guys are the best. You find people to invest in in your life and you just give them everything. You hold nothing back. You give them everything of yourself. You commit to everything that is best for them. And there won't be any doubt. If you do that, there will be no doubt. 
where you will ride out the last couple of decades of your life when you're too old to work and too young to die. You will be nestled in the bosom of a loving family. And you will have people who care for you in a way that people making eight bucks an hour just won't. I mean, you've seen these, these videos, usually some black guy just beating hell out of some white guy in an old age home. It's really sad. Either he didn't have kids or he alienated his kids or... I don't know. It's not a good plan, man. It's not a good plan. Tell her if she doesn't have empathy for her kids at the moment and they need her more than anything. More than anything. Now, if she was dumped into a, da into a daycare, listen. Look, come on. We know, we know the story. Look, if you had a shitty childhood and you become a better parent, it hurts like hell sometimes. It's wonderful. And I, I would trade it for nothing. And I mean, it's a, the proudest thing is, is my parenting. The, the philosophy is a pretty close second, but well, third. Husband, parent, philosopher. But it's painful. You know, I mean, when I um, play, you know, my daughter and I, not so much loud. She's a bit older than that. But we used to have these epic 10-day-long Monopoly games, right? So much fun. <laughs> so much fun. We, we wouldn't want it to end, so we just lend each other money all the time, right? Just keep it going. I don't remember my mother ever playing a board game with me. And, you know, you think about that from time to time. You think about all the fun that your dysfunctional parents missed out on if they were dysfunctional. It's really, it's really sad. It's really, really sad. They missed out on all the fun of being a happy, engaged, warm, and loving parent. And, you know, my mother, I haven't seen her in 20 years, and I will never see her again, I doubt, before she's dead. And that's pretty sad. You know, she's in her early 80s now, I think, and, yeah, it's pretty sad. And, it, you know, it does haunt me a little from time to time, thinking of her rotting away in some wretched apartment and rent-controlled dump. It's really sad. It's really sad, and I, I wish there was something I could do for her. I have certainly have tried many, many times in the past. I tried cleaning up her place. I tried giving her money. She would just turn and give it to shyster lawyers to pursue, pursue frivolous lawsuits, and I couldn't, I couldn't be a part of that. I couldn't be a part of that. Most of the people that I knew when I was young exist as little more than massive warning signs that I'm trying to pass to you. So your wife probably grew up in daycare herself. Her parents weren't connected. They weren't close to her. They weren't enjoying her company. You know what daycare says? I prefer money over you. That's what daycare says to children. And you can't argue with it. It's a basic fundamental empirical fact. You dump your kids in daycare or even government schools. Well, let's just say daycare for now. You're saying mommy prefers money over you. And then you know what happens? It's that the, 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 the kids, do you know what they hear? This is the funny thing, right? You know what they hear? They hear, they hear mom and dad complaining about work. Ah, oh, my boss is so mean. I have this really, really difficult customer. My commute is so long. I'm tired. I want to get up tomorrow. Oh, it's Friday. Thank God I don't have to go to work. Uh, after tonight, oh, Monday's coming. Oh, I don't want to go to work. Oh, all right. Do you know how brutal that is for kids? Yeah, you, yeah, do you understand? That you dump them in daycare, which they hate, by the way, and is bad for them. By the way, you can look up the Quebec studies on daycare for all of this shit. It is terrible for kids. So you put them 
in daycare so that you can go and work and then you complain about your job and the kids hear it, do you know how shitty that makes them feel? That you'd rather go someplace you don't even really like rather than spend time with them? It's like that old joke from Spinal Tap. They meet The band meets some other band that they don't really like. And the other band says, well, you know, we'd love to stay and chat, but uh, we got to go and uh, we got to go into the lobby to wait for our bus. <laughs> it's a completely lame excuse. It's funny, right? Sorry, I can't spend time with you, loving you and teaching you right from wrong and connecting with you and teaching you empathy and hug, hugging and cuddling. I can't do any of that stuff because I've got to go to a job I don't like. It's like if you're a wife, right? Imagine your husband cheats on you with the ugliest, fattiest, fattest, most pimpliest, nastiest woman around. How does that make you feel? That he cheated on you with someone contemptible. Your kids. I don't want to spend time with you kids because I got to go to a job I don't like. It's really stressful. It's kind of unpleasant. It's a lot of travel. I'm tired. Difficult people. Difficult clients, difficult projects. Ugh. Stressed. I'm so stressed. The fuck? What are you doing? There's plenty of time to hate your job later. Love your kids now. <laughs> I don't understand it. All right. Uh, when is it time for a father to let a child make their own mistakes? My dad is funding my sister to go off to art school. Um... Why doesn't she want to become a mom? Art school. Yeah, that's, I mean, this just, a, it's, a, it's a time killer. It, she doesn't know what she wants to do with her life, so she'll go and waste time at art school. Yeah, it's, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't pay a penny for that. Are you kidding me? Let's see here. A new camera, quality looking great. Uh, no, just uh, maybe it's a little better with uh, the light. Uh, let's see here. How did you identify your wife as the best partner for you? This is going to sound silly. Uh, just talking about this with her the other day. Do you know, one one of the things, you know, I got to tell you, you guys ever date under-functioning women? <laughs> There's your gift. Did, 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 did you ever date under-functioning women? Oh, man. Oh, man, they're exhausting. Exhausting. And I, I knew a lot of women under-functioning. They're just, you know, uh, I don't know how to put it. Like, I, I, I dated one woman. She was wanted to be an engineer, but she had exam anxiety. And it's just, like, brutal. And it's like, I don't know, man. I don't know if being an engineer is the best thing for you. If you're terrified of an exam, how terrified are you going to be if a bridge falls down? You know, like you're going to be paralyzed, right? Um. I knew another woman who was afraid of the phone, just hated making phone calls. And it was just a big battle. It's like, oh, my God, it's exhausting, right? I know another woman, she wanted to be a filmmaker. But, you know, she didn't want to just pick up the phone and just hustle, hustle, hustle and write great scripts and, and find ways to make it work or at least put stuff on stage if you can't get it in front of a movie because this is back before phones and all that. It was really expensive to make movies and just couldn't get things going like couldn't get a life going because of some desire or goal that she fundamentally was completely unconstituted for so my wife just is incredibly competent and efficient woman just gets things done she makes the phone calls she she negotiates she 
does what needs to be done. She she runs the house. She runs the finances. She's like she's just really really competent. Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, that's that's a real thing. That's a real thing. She has her concerns. She has her worries. I get all of that, right? And not, she's not Superman. She's not Superwoman. Neither am I Superman. But I would say just look for someone who's just fundamentally competent. Just get things done. It doesn't mean they're good at everything, of course, right? But, you know, uh, I remember, um, was it last summer? We were playing tennis, right? And and my wife, not a big racket sports person, but she's game, man. She, I call her action wife because she'll just, she's good. She's game for anything, right? And she's just, you know, she took lessons and she's just really working hard. And then there were these, these women... Uh, one court over and they were like eh, I missed you know eh, you know just like and she's like serious and, and, and fun great fun to play with and she just wants to become better and just likes to be competent at things and, and she is wonderfully competent and you know when I was six she just moved in and, and, and dealt with things and just was fantastic and negotiated and just you know when I was dazed on chemo and stuff right it's just amazing so all these girls oh I missed ah, you know it's just like oh just find somebody who's good at something, is competent at something, can get basic things done in life. It's not as common as you might think. Uh, somebody says, been watching since the debate with Peter Joseph. Oh, my gosh. You helped make me better. You helped me make better decisions in life compared to daydreaming for the Venus Project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's see here. Uh, I hate this character limit, but I'm extremely worried about my sister getting completely propagandized. She's 18, so dad takes hands off. I don't know what that means. How do you feel about a free domain dating site? Hey, man, I got a whole bunch of communities out there, and I drop past them every day, a couple of times a day. And if people want to, uh, if people want to meet up, I, I already know of, um, I don't know, probably... I don't even know how many marriages have come out of this show, but a lot and a lot of kids, and it's beautiful. So, let's see here. Do you feel let down by mainstream conservatives? I don't really think of that. No, I don't really think of that. Um, so, yeah, mainstream conservatives. Uh, it's mostly. I want to say a scam, exactly. Although letting. Jared Kushner being in control of the donations for the Trump um, campaign and, and post-election ele- uh, will save the election frou-frou. It was pretty brutal, you know, like the—so the, um, what they did was they said, you know, come donate to Trump. It's the closing days, and, and they buried in there a little checkbox, and people just got huge amounts of money taken out of their account without realizing they'd signed up for—first it was monthly, then it was weekly donations. And what happened to the $150 million raised to fight the election, you know? I mean— and again, I don't want to blame Trump for that. I think Jared Kushner was in charge of that kind of stuff, which is sadly predictable. But um, it is uh, no it, mainstream conservatives is the illusion that politics will solve problems that are generated by propaganda and culture, and that's not not going to work. Let's see here. Am I wrong in saying that women have a tendency to not be able to think that far ahead? No, women can think that far ahead, man. Absolutely. Like, you know, you get some study that comes and says, red meat is bad for you. You watch women change the diet of the family if they believe that stuff because they are very concerned that the husband is going to get, I don't know, bowel cancer in 30 years or something like that. So, no, no, women can absolutely think that far ahead. Chinese are mortified that we dump our old and old age homes. Yeah. Is there any chance you will speak at the EU again? I would not hold my breath. 
Any tips on finding a therapist? So, um, yes, I do have How to Find a Good Therapist, uh, fdrpodcast.com. But what do you say when the inevitable I had to work to pay for your food response comes? Well, it's bullshit. Kids are smart, right? If if you're listening to this show, you're going to have smart kids, way above average, right? And the idea that you, I had to work to pay for your food response, I mean, come on. Look, let's do the damn math. God's sakes. Oh, my gosh. Um, you got to sit down with the brutal spreadsheet. The brutal, brutal spreadsheet. And I did this math before. Average woman's salary, she's making about two bucks an hour going to work. She's making about two bucks an hour going to work. Child care expenses. Eating out expenses. Clothing. Second car. Gas. Insurance. You name it. Women who work outside the home almost never contribute much to the family income. Now you could say, ah, yes, but as a woman, I earn $200,000 a year. Okay, well, I bet you you didn't marry a guy who only makes $50,000 a year. Now did you, honey? Because you got hypergamy, which means you're going to go up the economic ladder, which means your husband is making at least a quarter mil, which means you don't have to work. Now do you? Because you can get by on a quarter mil. And if you can't, I got nothing to say to you. All right. So no, there's absolutely, there's almost no circumstance in which a woman who's married must work in order to pay the bills. Almost now, if she's the big primary earner, hey, uh, after the breastfeeding situation, she's the primary earner. Then uh, there was a time I, I worked from home and my wife worked out of the home and I was the primary caregiver after the breastfeeding time. So yeah, it can, can work the other way for sure. In which case, that's totally fine. It doesn't matter if it's the, uh, after breastfeeding, doesn't matter particularly if it's the man or the, or the woman who stays home. That's fine. But no, this come on. I mean, it's 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 ridiculous. It's it's LARPing. It's it's not a real job with an income. For for most women, there are almost no women who are economically necessary for the survival of a household. And of course, the other thing too. Oh, well, we live in a big expense. Oh, come on, just move, move to someplace cheaper. Your kids are only young once. You got to get those bonds forged. And you say, oh, you know, here's the other thing. You don't have to wait. You don't even have to wait until old age you don't have to wait till 65 or 70 you want to know the real pain of daycare it's about the age of 12 it's about the age of 12 we're at the age of 12 the peer in the 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 sex hormones uh, kick in puberty hit kicks in women girls start getting their periods and the teen storms begin now the teen storm teen storms are the reorientation of allegiance to the parents to allegiance to the peer because you're not going to make kids with your parents you're going to make kids with your peers right you're going to find someone to date out of some horizontal age slice right now when the hormones hit and the teen storms begin and you don't have a strong bond with your kids they will go off the rails i mean paris hilton style right they will go off the rails paris hilton went club mad her mom said, you know, from 13 to 15, things just went haywire. And I think probably it's early sexual abuse. It's my guess. I don't know that. And it's not mentioned in the documentary. She may not even know it herself. It may not be true, of course. But if you've dumped your kids in daycare, you've said, hey, you know how you're going to get your values? You know how you, you know who you have to really conform to is your peers. Your peers are your rulers. That's what happened for me in boarding school. It's what happens to kids in daycare. 
your peers become your masters. Your peer influence is vastly greater than your parent influence. So then when your kids hit teenage life and their peers start to push the buttons of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and drinking, staying out late, and you've trained them through daycare to bond with their peers, not their parents, and then you try to control them as parents, and you say, well, you, you got to listen to us, not your peers. It's like, well, then why the hell did you put me in with my peers instead of raise me yourself? If you wanted me to listen to you, you had to have at least the basic authority of liking my company when I was young. But if you chose an annoying job at low pay over parenting me, and then you want me to listen to you about how to live, <laughs> you better think again. Oh, my God, you got to be crazy. So don't you want to have a fun time when your kids are in teenage years, or do you just want to be chasing after them, hoping they're not dead? No, book to pay for your food. It's nonsense. Let's see here. I dated women without dads in their life. Yeah, well, they probably were preyed upon. Uh, statistically, it would be much higher chance. Right? Well, let's see here. My first girlfriend was a beautiful dimwit, I'm sad to say. Yeah, well. I'm a woman about to turn 35, and I think the relationship I'm in is about to end. I feel like giving up on my dream of having a family. Help. Well, you can roll the dice and freeze your eggs, uh, or you can figure out how to make this relationship work. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, wish I could turn back time, but I can't. I'm sorry. Yeah, I have a call-in show, call show on Friday. Why do you feel sad that your mom is rotting alone? If I were you, I would probably feel some schadenfreude. Oh, German woman, German word. No, it is sad. It is sad. I, you know, I wish she had made better decisions. It's sad because I so much enjoy being a parent. I mean, I love this show. I love my wife. I love being a parent. Okay, it's going to be tough. You know, like, uh, what was that thing? Um, one day you're going to pick up your child for the last time because they're too big, right? And it, I'm going to miss. I, I, I love being a parent. So, I mean, to my daughter in particular, she's just, she's the coolest. I, I could do hours on how cool and fun and smart and witty and skeptical and, and enjoyable company my daughter is. She is, you know, there's, you know, obviously some genetics and good parenting, but, you know, we really rolled the dice and, and it came up double sixes with, with that. You know, we rolled a natural 20 for, for childhood. And um, knowing how enjoyable parenting could be, uh, it is. It is sad that my mom made the choices that she made. It really is sad. And and if I could lift that log off her, I would. I can't, unfortunately, because the conscience operates outside of our free will. All right. Our free will affects the conscience, but we can't direct the conscience any more than, you know, we can choose to put sunscreen or not, but we can't have free will regards to whether we get a sunburn or not. So I think I bonded with video games instead of parents or friends. Yeah, that's that's true as well. Uh, so people living in a manipulated reality go very easily from video games to the mainstream media. How do you find a smart woman who isn't totally brainwashed by the independent woman meme? Well, the more original you are, the more original people you will attract into your life, right? So be original and respect and value originality. And uh, go to go to church. <laughs> Take me to church. All right. Last questions. I can always talk all night with you guys as well. So I appreciate everybody dropping by tonight. Last questions. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, go listen to the song Taste It by NXS, especially the live versions. That is one muscular and meaty song. 
Sweet, sweet, sweet. Let you taste that. All right. Let's see here. Did I miss any other questions in my other platyformies? In my other platform shoes. Oh, yeah. I think I'm going to be joining Unauthorized TV with uh, Vox Day, Owen Benjamin, and all the other people who were there before me. So you might want to check that. I haven't got around to it yet, but I will probably get around to it this week. Unauthorized.tv, I think, is the website. I'm going to aim at that. All right. Let's see here. Uh, all right. Have I stunned everyone with future proofing? Am I in the bottom left corner of the <laughs> of the screen? Why, yes, I am, because that's the kind of professional I am. All right. Let's see. Sorry, let's go back here. Any last questions? Uh, advice for a teenager, Steph. Uh, yeah, recognize that most of your friends aren't going to make it. And uh, try not to hang around and get drowned by the bodies. Uh, let's see here. Should I insist on trying to show truth and reason to people or just give up after a while, specifically regarding children and daycare, etc.? So there's a window for truth and reason that's pretty short. Um, and this is sort of bitter experience, right? So you, you do the truth and reason thing. People are kind of shocked into they wake up for a moment and usually it's 24 to 48 hours there's a window for them to have a free will, a choice. And if they don't take it, then the defenses kick in, the justifications and the rationalizations kick in, and they end up further apart from you than they were before. So uh, it's a make it or break it situation. You bring reason and evidence to people, they either end up close to you, and it's 24 to 48 hours, or they end up further away. And uh, I've never seen it turn back. All right. What am I supposed to do when the guy is pulling away? Guys pulling away. Um, well, it, it, it usually has to do with the fact that either he finds you unpleasant or you have different values. If he finds you unpleasant, find out what makes, you know, you've got to be likable. You know, <laughs> I sort of hate to say it, you know, but if you're in a long-term relationship, the person has to like you. And and in order for the person to like you, you have to ask what they like <laughs> and, and work to provide that, right? There's a lot of stuff that doesn't come naturally in relationships, but... You know, I'm always asking you guys, what should I talk about? What are your questions? What are your topics? What are your thoughts? I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to see, you know, I, I want to be likable. I want to be pleasant. I want to be enjoyable to listen to. I want to provide value because that's the gig, right? I mean, that's, you know, if you want a singer, you want people to listen to you sing, right? That's the kind of thing, right? So, I mean, I don't want to compromise truth for that, but, you know, there's a lot of different ways to present the truth, right? And so if you're in a long-term relationship, you've got to continually check with people like you you got a boyfriend or whatever yeah how are you enjoying the relationship is there anything i can do differently is there anything i can do better i'm constantly doing not constantly at least once every week or two uh, i will sort of sit down with the family and say you know how's everyone doing how are things going because things can change my daughter's getting older she's going to have different preferences and requirements and needs and you know her emotions are going to be stronger you know with all of that so you've just got to keep track of people keep track of their happiness and make sure that you're continuing to provide value to people and so if someone's pulling away, if there's something you're doing that they don't like, uh, I don't know what to say. Change it. <laughs> you know, I mean, don't compromise your basic values. But if you have to compromise your basic values, then you can't be in the relationship for good for long anyway. But, you know, find out what they want, right? If the guy says uh, we're not having enough sex, then 
figure out how to solve <laughs> solve that, you know? Find out whatever resistance you have. If if you're too tired, then head to bed earlier. If if you've got a headache, then, I don't know, work and stretch and, and you know, do your neck exercises to prevent headaches. Or uh, if you eat too much and then you're too bloated to have sex, then eat less. Uh, uh, if you feel your body's unattractive, then confess that and, and exercise or have sex with the lights off. Like whatever it is, you know, if you find yourself you're not attracted to the guy, then say, you know, listen, I'm sorry. I know we should be spiritually united, but I'm still a mammal who needs uh, to be able to see... Uh, you know, your, your, your penis below your belly <laughs> or something like maybe we can get together to lose weight or whatever it is, you, you just work to solve the problems, you know, work to solve the problems. If he's bored in the relationship, then say, okay, well, what can we do that's going to be more interesting, uh, more exciting, more fun? Because, you know, the, the, in the twin poles between border and terror, uh, boredom and terror, you want to find something in the middle. So, yeah, just your, 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 your partner, your, your spouse, your friends, everyone in your life is a customer of your personality. And, all businesses have employer uh, have customer surveys. You go to a pizza place, they'll say, "Hey, you'll get a free slice of pizza if you fill out this survey and tell us how we did." And like we do this with pizza, we don't do this with the people in our lives. Find out what makes him happy, what makes you happy, and aim for that. Aim for that. Uh, I always try to be pleasant to be around, though. Well, maybe he wants you to be more challenging. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. Uh, let's see here. How do I parent effectively when I share custody with a legit psychopath? I've been attempting to write in about this, actually. I don't think that's a... You're going to a nutritionist and saying, how do I deal with a heart attack? So I'm all about preventing these kinds of problems. Once you're in that kind of situation, I think it's a matter for courts and lawyers and so on. Because if you have a legit psychopath as a co-parent, then you either lie about it and mislead the kids, or you tell the truth about it and he's going to make you pay. So I don't know how to solve that one. Sorry. Uh... I asked a semi-long question in the live stream question section. Okay. Sorry about this. I missed that one. Uh, if my dad has any responsibility to protect my 18-year-old sister from going to art school with a communist and nihilist boyfriend, he tells me that she deserves the chance to make her own mistakes. However, he is paying for all of it. He is taking a hands-off approach with this, and I'm not sure if he is right or not. God forbid she gets pregnant by this guy. Um, so... Your father is, of, I'm just going to be frank here, I don't know the truth, it's my opinion. Your father is avoiding the mistakes that he made so that his daughter has a communist nihilist boyfriend. Like, whatever he screwed up, and it was considerable, whatever he screwed up to give her these terrible values, he's avoiding that. And what's going to happen is he's going to pay her to go to art school, and she's going to screw up her life in some manner. And then he can say, it was the boyfriend. It was the art school. It wasn't me. He's paying her to go away and embody the mistakes in the parenting that he made. And then he can blame her environment that's distant from him. That's the whole, that's what he's paying for. That's the whole deal. And uh, you can blow that open uh, if you want. I would certainly recommend giving it a shot. Like you want to act in such a way that, that when things, if things go well, great, you can take some credit. If things go badly and you tried everything you could, at least you won't feel any guilt. You got to earn your way out of these things, right? All right, I think, I'm sorry, just go back in case any last questions. I hope that helps. Any advice for a single working father bringing up a two-year-old daughter alone? It's difficult to man manage without childcare. Uh, where, where's the mom? Have you ever read Pat Buchanan books? Yeah, I've read one or two. I think I did a show on his one. The, uh, it was him, right? The Unnecessary War? 
Um, let me just check that. War. Yeah, that was Pat Buchanan, right? Unnecessary War was a great book. Uh, it was really, I highly recommend it. He's, uh, he's got some very powerful... Um, yeah, Churchill, Hitler, and the Unnecessary War was really, uh, really something. And uh, a very, very good historian as far as that goes. I don't know much about his other stuff, and I think he had some pretty hinky stuff to say about uh, various bits in America. But as far as historical uh, analysis goes, it's pretty top-notch as far as I can tell. Thoughts? Do you teach your child UPB? Oh, absolutely. Both in... in in um, form and function, right? In in empiricism and in theory, right? So absolutely, of course, UPB is the foundation of the education of my child, and she she dings me hard on it at times. You know, when I uh, <laughs> when I make a mistake and uh, contradict myself, boom, she's right in there, and I I think it's wonderful. I think it's wonderful. All right, all right, all right. Listen, chat with you guys all night. Absolutely great. Um, and yeah, have yourself a wonderful evening. I really appreciate everyone dropping by. It was just lovely to see you all and chat with you all. I hope this helps. I might do a whole series on uh, grokking the ladies, so to speak. But um, yeah, freedomain.com forward slash donate. And I'm sorry for those of you who've been trying to, um, I, I put out a thousand copy limited run of my first novel, Revolutions, which I wrote when I was 23. Um, it's a great and powerful book. The book saved my life. It, it, to- it de-radicalized me. The book really saved my life. And I've been selling this, but, uh, man, the fees are brutal. I mean, the fees are way more than just buying the book. Uh, the, the Ethereum gas fees and so on. So I'm going to find an alternative. But, uh, yeah, I'm sorry about that. I mean, I, I, I guess I believe that crypto was somewhat efficient as far as this stuff goes. But Ethereum contracts are, like, I just straight up ridiculous. They have five times the price of the book just to buy it. I mean, this is absolutely insane and ridiculous. And uh, I can't believe that that the Ethereum community is letting this stuff go uh, in any way, shape, or form. But it is the way that it's playing. And uh, uh, so uh, I'll put the link in here. You can go and check it out. Maybe the fees have changed. But um, you can go and check out uh, the, the book. It's a great book. And you get a bonus video explaining to be the book about so you can check that out freedomain.com forward slash donate solana is that a thing okay i'll look that up i appreciate that uh yeah freedomain.com forward slash donate if you'd like to help the show i'd really really appreciate it and have yourselves a wonderful wonderful evening lots of love from up here uh, i just can't tell you how much i appreciate uh, these conversations uh, it's a real honor and a privilege and uh, take care i'll talk to you soon bye